The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. To our third week of the concentration class. And people are still coming in, so if any of you would like to ask any questions about what I've said so far, your experience doing a little bit concentration, um, we can take a couple of questions perhaps. Are you already all in samadhi? And it's all, it's all so oh, okay. clear. Well, last something. I am. Um, I've been doing, uh, like you said, uh, forty-five minutes, a little longer, and I like to meditate with my eyes open, partly because I'm rebellious, I think. But anyway, but um, one thing I noticed and at first, I thought it was my imagination. I have this blue shawl. It just seemed like colors. I mean, I know it seems almost like a cliche, but. Thought of the colors more vivid, and I, I think actually, actually they were. <laughs> so I don't know if it just affects your brain chemistry or something, and just colors seem very bright and beautiful. Uh-huh. Great, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, um, maybe it's brain chemistry, because you know that. Um, I mean, your your idea is interesting. So much of how we perceive the world is um, we take in pixels the little sense data and then the mind reconstructs it and so maybe sometimes it reconstructs it in sharper focus or something so maybe I'm just affirming what you're saying I don't know but what I think happens often is that we're so distracted or so caught up that there's almost like there's a, a veil or filter over our perceptions and so when uh, with samadhi with getting concentrated the mind becomes stiller and a lot of the forces of distractions and preoccupations settle away and it's quite common for people to report a very heightened lucidity in their perceptions. Some people, it's, uh, some people, it's particular uh, perceptions. Sometimes, for some people, it's sound. It's quite common to have sight. Taste can be quite strong. Smell can be quite uh, much more acute. It's quite common. It's Something that is a, you know, so people can look at uh, you know a crumpled piece of silver candy wrapper that's on the sidewalk, and if they're concentra- concentrated, it's like, wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, please. So, um, I have ex- experience <laughs> of sound getting more and more um, uh, louder and vibrational, almost like I, I sense that I'm in front of a fan or something in a, cool, in a hot day and a fan is just uh, vibrating. And um, I don't know what my question is. I just, I just, for me, that is what, is what the experience of... Um, that's what I've been experiencing in meditation these days, and and and, mm-hmm. and it feels and, good. And, and what's it correlated with? Uh, any other changes in your meditation these days? 
Um, yeah, it, it does feel... Um, meditation is, is easy and a joy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a struggle. And when you have that uh, high, more, more intensified hearing, um, how much thinking is going on? Not much. I feel it's just, it seems really mysterious mm-hmm. and interesting and, and pleasant. Oh. Um, so. okay. And if, the, if thinking comes back in, does the intensity of the hearing decrease? Yeah, it does. I like to stay with it, but it uh, doesn't, it, yeah, when I think about it, it goes away. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's, all, that, all this is interesting information to have. So, so seeing that, uh, perhaps uh, some people would then be get, get less interested in their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And there's a better thing going on here, more interesting thing. Why should I pick up my thoughts, you know? And so, so what you're describing is also a product of concentration, stillness, focus, and uh, there's this heightened perception that goes on, and similar to what I just said about the veils clear away. But for some reason, uh, sometimes the, the mind's ability to concentrate kind of directs itself to particular sensations. And so those become particularly acute. And I don't think the sounds around you are getting any louder, but your sensitivity to it is getting louder. And, um, and uh, sometimes they can get quite loud sounds or sensations in the body, particular sensations in the body, and they can be uncomfortable because they get so intense. But it's uh, usually a follows a, a, a you know a, a pattern you know where it gets stronger. And then at some point, as the concentration gets gets even stronger, uh, these things get uh, diminish, get calmer and quieter. So it's kind of a phase we go through, phase of intensification. And so if we react to that and pull back or get afraid or just whatever we think, pull back, then um, you know it decreases. You can start thinking, for example. But if, uh, but if you, you can just stay along and be kind of content or patient with the intensification, at some point it'll peak and, and uh, you'll get even calmer and more settled. Thanks. Okay, so again, welcome back. And um, I wanted to talk about a couple of main things today. Uh, one is uh, working with obstacles to concentration, and the other is um, um, the role of well-being for concentration. And the two are closely related, and they could be seen as belonging to um, what, in the, what in the ancient Buddhist uh, discussion of samadhi is called uh, preparatory samadhi. That's usually the way they translate it into English, that uh, we have to prepare ourselves, we have to do preparatory work. The, um, the Pali, the ancient Buddhist word, parikama, uh, kama means to do, and, uh, and, and uh, the pari can mean uh, um, complete, so to make, so kama is to make, to make complete, also mean make whole. It also, uh, according to these Pali English dictionaries, the prefix means also all around, Something that's all around, complete and all around. So um, to, to make oneself all around or complete, to include everything. And so it, it points to how samadhi is an inclusion practice where we, we kind of 
bring all our different faculties together and we're really gathering ourselves here to really be here. And, um, but to really be here in, in an effective way and to really be focused and, um, and be interested in doing that and go deeper into it, um, it helps if you know how to un, uh, avoid getting caught up in distractions. <clears throat> and it helps if you have <clears throat> some, uh, some uh, evidence, some feelings of well-being or pleasure in it. You enjoy it so that it's an enjoyable thing. You're, going in, you're entering into, a, into something that's enjoyable. Um, some people will go to approach concentration as a duty and just think they have to try hard and <laughs> bear down. And uh, that's not really useful for the kind of relaxed, open awareness that's, uh, that we're looking for. A deep concentration um, is sometimes, uh, has the word, is called jhana, J-H-A-N-A. And uh, I'll talk more about that next week. But for now, what I want to say is the etymology of this word, <laughs> jhana, <laughs> Um, means to burn. And, uh, and so if we, uh, kind of like we're burning, and I, some of you, maybe that's a kind of a negative image, like why would I want to burn? Um, some people like, they say because you're burning up your defilements, you're burning up your, you know, your, you know, your, your gunk, if you have some. And then, uh, but also, uh, I think a more, a more uh, for me, a more, uh, significant imagery is that of a candle, a candle flame. And a candle flame, uh, where there's no wind, can look look, un, uh, uh, it's, look like it's not flickering at all. Uh, it's completely still. But uh, a, the, the flame of a candle is, is energetic. It's energized with the, with the stuff of the flame. It's not, you know, it's really, you know, it's vibrant in there. It's hot and active and so there's, it's both still and active. So samadhi, developing concentration, is uh, we're developing a energized calm or a calm, energized state. Uh, some people think that the, these two can't go together, that if I'm energized, I'm hyped up and I need to get calm. Um, but if we get too calm, we tend to go to sleep. So we're looking for a deep tranquility that's simultaneously energized like this uh, candle flame in a, in a uh, you know, windless, you know, windless time, windless, windless, windless area. So, um, so to prepare for that is that the preparations is very important. And working with the obstacles to concentration is uh, so important that these things shouldn't actually be called obstacles. Uh, because then we think they're unfortunate and they shouldn't be there. A huge part of um, Buddhist practice is learning wisdom about all the different things our mind does to have uh, to, to cultivate some kind of equanimity, maybe even compassion towards all the things that make it difficult to be compassionate. So we're not fighting, fighting ourselves, criticizing ourselves, upset with ourselves, upset with it all. Um, we're not trying to fight against ourselves in order to you know overcome some kind of tendencies of the mind so we can get concentrated. Part of the function, I like to think that part of the function of a concentration practice is actually to help us confront or to meet, address um, all the things that make make concentration difficult. Uh, 
These are all important mental parts of our mental landscape of how we operate and what we're trying to work with and change and transform and uh, become wise for. And so to the degree to which you're trying to get concentrated and you're not getting, um, uh, be very patient with that and just uh, think of yourself, this is, this is the <coughs> preparatory stage or this is a stage where I'm trying to make, it, uh, make the, my presence all around or complete. And what you, if you look, if you analyze this or look at it, most of the things which are obstacles to concentration are ways in which we're fragmented, ways in which we're divided against ourselves or we're not really complete because we're caught up and preoccupied in something that is taking precedence over an all-around kind of way of being present. And, um, and um, so learning to work with the obstacles and then also learning to um, then almost simultaneously perhaps, beginning to have uh, the ability to uh, sense into, to feel and sense into this body that we have to where the subtle pleasures or the joy, the the well-being might be. And even if you're feeling off somehow, sometimes it's possible to tune into subtle senses of pleasure, subtle well-being that might be there. Um, it might be as you know mundane or subtle as uh, you know mostly you feel kind of grumpy maybe today uh, but if you really sit and you start paying where's the where's the well-being or where's the pleasure here and it might be that the contact of your two lips touching it's just if you really tune into it there's a kind of little pleasure there a little something that's kind of nice there that uh, that's, be- that's the beginning of tuning into something enjoyable and well, that's nice to pay attention to. That's a lot better than paying attention to my grumpiness. And so it's a little bit, you know, pulls you in to stay here. But there's also uh, sometimes this notion of, um, there's kind of almost like there's layers in our body. And there's the outer layer where we hold all our tension. But if we can kind of take a deep breath and relax and kind of get underneath the skin almost, sometimes it's possible to tune in to a more subtle uh, sense of well-being or subtle sense of energy or subtle sense of vibration or subtle sense of something that feels good to be with, connected to. And sometimes if you can get under the skin and kind of feel really close and kind of intimate, sometimes the goodness or the pleasure or the well-being comes from, uh, not because it's conventional pleasure, but sometimes it feels so, a sense of rightness and goodness to have this intimate contact with oneself. And this kind of like, oh, I'm really in touch with myself. And that my, my, my inner life likes to be seen or to be touched and be there. And it feels so good to be in touch with it. And um, so anyway, so there's all kinds of ways, but to, to the preparatory time is to kind of learn some ways to maybe uh, prepare ourselves settle in, uh, reflect, do something that prepares the ground for it, for the meditation you're going to do. So there's some semblance, some little bit of well-being or subtleness in it, in what you're doing here. Some people will uh, uh, read a passage, a spiritual passage, which inspires them, and they sit down, that inspiration kind of provides a little bit of that. Some people will do loving-kindness practice and uh, for themselves or something, and, uh, and that kind of begins shifting the mood or the, what's going on. 
So what, what I'm talking about is shifting the mood, shifting how you are. Don't just sit down. In mindfulness practice, we just, in a sense, we just sit down to be with what is. When you do concentration practice, you don't have to just sit to be with what is. Um, you can actually, if you can, do something to uh, shift yourself. Get yourself in a better mood. Do something to inspire yourself or to, um, you know. And sometimes it can be, you know, um, I've, what I've done sometimes is taken a shower. And um, I like hot showers. So sometimes I've taken a shower and then sat, da- sat down. And then there's a, kind of a feeling of being clean and connected. My, I'm more feeling connected to my skin and it feels kind of fresh and nice and my muscles are warm and maybe more relaxed. And so then it's easier to tune in to some good feelings in there. And those good feelings then become, you know, it's more interesting, more more compelling to stay present. If it's just a drag in the body, you know, you're feeling miserable and grumpy and and someone tells you to feel your body and like, why? You know, having fantasies is better. So this preparation, spending some time thinking that you're preparing. And sometimes the preparation can take years if there's a lot of things that have to be worked out. And that's not a mistake. It's just that that's what needs to be done, what needs to happen. So a few things to say about um, obstacles in meditation. A common one is thinking. And, uh, and, uh, and it's I think very important to understand that there are different intensities or levels of thinking. And so uh, the, I think the coarsest level, perhaps, is discursive thinking. And discursive thinking is probably the biggest challenge to meditation, where you're having a conversation with yourself or a conversation with someone else, or you're making big commentary, writing an essay about you know, how awful your boss is or something, or you're spending a lot of time justifying yourself and trying to explain yourself to someone, you know, like, you know, you know, why you did X and why it was the best thing and what you're going to tell them. And that's all discursive thinking, story-making, storytelling. And, um, and that's a world which uh, more likely, if you're in it, will really make it hard for you to really feel and sense and be f- more fully present for your direct experience. But then there's more subtle kinds of thinking that goes on that are thinking about the meditation itself. And, um, and that, that can, you know, it can be discursive. It could be a whole dissertation about, um, you know, that, uh, uh, I don't know, about thinking and thinking and planning and judging and commentary of what's going on in your meditation and it's discursive thinking. But as it gets more subtle, then there's subtle kind of thinking, thinking like, uh, okay, let's now feel the breathing more fully. Gil talked about having full awareness of the breath. So what is full awareness now? What if I kind of, kind of feel into it physically with my, I feel the breath, the breathing in my chest. What's it like if I really feel into it? And, and you know, do I feel my rib cage move at all? Do I feel any, as I, as I breathe in, is it a little more space formed between the ribs, you know, and they close when I breathe out? So it's little, maybe little questions, little directions of, like giving yourself instructions. What's here? What's here? And that sometimes can help begin gathering you in and connect you. And that kind of thinking can be supportive up to a point. So if it's supportive, do it. Uh, so you don't feel like, oh, I'm thinking, I shouldn't be thinking. I'm supposed to have a quiet mind. At some point, even that level of thinking gets in the way 
but uh, you don't, but until that point, that kind of thinking might be helpful. Some people will say that they're they're not thinking at all. They believe they have a quiet mind, but, it's, uh, but they are doing this more subtle kind of instructional thinking. Um, but they don't think it's thought. They think the only thing that's thinking is the discursive thinking, and they almost don't even know they're doing it. This more subtle kind of engaging it's almost intuitive, perhaps if you ask them. And then there's even subtler thinking, which is um, uh, just simply, you know, you're not, you're not trying to give yourself instructions, you're not directing yourself, you're not asking questions, what is it? Um, it's just very simple, it's like mindfulness, very simple recognition of what's there. Oh, there's pleasure, there's the out-breath, there's the in-breath, there's that, there's this, there's a sound. And it's very, very quiet. And the direction we're going in meditation, and this is an important point to think of, is to meditate in such a way that that thinking mind starts getting quieter and calmer. And that's one of the guides to know what we're doing. How can I be with the breath? How can I be focusing here that supports me to get quieter and calmer rather than more agitated and spin out more? So one of the things that uh, I found very helpful many years ago when I heard this instruction around thinking was don't be bothered by your thoughts. And, uh, and I realized how much, I didn't realize, I, I, only when I heard that did I realize that um, I, it really bothered me that I was thinking, I was trying to meditate and I shouldn't be thinking and I thought you're supposed to have a calm mind and, and my mind was not behaving and not cooperating and this was a drag. And I just, you know, and when I had those thoughts and that reactions, um, uh, ironically, I was just making it, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy these thoughts are making it hard for me to meditate. I can't meditate with these kinds of thoughts. And the more I told myself those stories, and, and faster and faster and faster, the less I could meditate, right? Um, so, so the agitation of our thinking and reactivity to thinking is, is a, can be a huge part of the problem. So to, so to trust that it's okay not to judge, not to have commentary, not to be upset about thinking, but don't be bothered by it. And, um, and just let it be in the background. Um, let go of it if you can, or just don't, you know, but don't get, don't get upset with it. Um, I love the idea of putting the thoughts in the background. And my foreground of attention goes into the breathing. And my thinking does what it does, and I kind of ignore it. And after a while, I know, I, if I pay attention, I know I'm thinking, but I have to kind of focus to figure out what I'm thinking about. Because I'm not really not interested, it's kind of like in the background. And um, so don't be bothered by your thoughts. Um, now there's a, a certain kind of thinking that uh, goes on, which is called the hindrances. And especially the first two hindrances have a lot of thinking usually involved as part of, or some thinking involved as part of it. And these are the, the central mental obstacles that uh, Buddhism talks about that prevent people from getting concentrated. And, um, and so well, part of the task of meditators is to recognize these hindrances when they come and, and welcome the idea of working with them. Welcome the idea, this is my chance. Everyone's going to have to learn for themselves how these hindrances work for them, their tricks and how we get caught in them, and learn how to navigate them so they, they no longer are an obstacle for us. So uh, um, some people are called, uh, sometimes the hindrances are called um, strategies for agony. 
And um, because, you know, sometimes they, it's just, it's just a, you know, painful to have us on and on. Um, but the first hindrance is uh, strong desire. We, we get pulled into the world of desire, what we're desiring, what we want. And that can be so captivating for some people that it's very hard to focus on the meditation itself. The second is um, ill will, having aversion or ill will or hostility or, uh, to what's going on. And that's another world of thinking and reactivity that can be quite strong that people get pulled into that world so that they're not really meditating. The third one is, um, is a kind of subtle resistance to what's going on that uh, takes the form of, of uh, these wonderful Victorian English words, sloth and torpor. And uh, kind of a, the, physically and mentally, the energy just kind of drops. And it isn't ordinary tiredness, uh, it's really a strategy of avoidance or a strategy of disappointment or a strategy of d- despair or a strategy of, I, you know, I give up, it's too hard for me or something. And so, um, and, uh, because it can change on a, on a, you know, on a dime. Uh, suddenly you're completely alert and fine and, you know, what was I so slothful for? So, um, so learning to navigate that. And the fourth uh, hindrance is uh, restlessness and regret. So we have a lot of restlessness agitation, fairly common for people who have anxiety, for example. Um, and there are also regrets. Uh, having regrets is a hu- you know, for some people that really pulls them into a world of distraction. And the last hindrance is doubt. And, um, and uh, uncertainty, kind of in- inability to commit to the, the meditation to the focus, um, have doubts about your ability to do it, have doubts about whether it's the right time, have doubts about just about anything at all. And doubts can be very compelling. So the art of this is to learn to recognize those. And in the recognizing they're there, then figure out what's a wise strategy to either settle them, uh, counter them with something, let go of them, or simply recognize them and put them aside. And don't, don't give them too much energy because sometimes too much, if you, even the energy of trying to get rid of something um, just reinforces it. You're, you're caught in its web. I saw that with my small kids. Um, uh, some, there were times when uh, my sons were um, being really difficult. And, you know, I was trying to make dinner. And there was a time to make dinner, but they were like in my, between my legs and, you know, and I'd tell them stop, you know, nicely and maybe not quite so nicely. And, um, and, uh, but what I noticed after a while uh, was they didn't care. What they cared was they had my attention. And so it was all, you know, self, it was, it was reinforcing the whole thing. They got, they had me, <laughs> they had what they wanted. <laughs> And it didn't matter if it was like, you know, no or yes or something. And uh, so the times I was making dinner, I found, uh, I mean, uh, this is not child neglect, what I'm about to say. Uh, my kids were basically fine. Um, uh, I, I learned that I had, just ign- I had to just ignore them. And if I ignored them and didn't get that kind of, you know, energy of attention, uh, they have to, pretty quickly they lost interest and, you know, they wander off and do something else. So the mind can be that too, the hindrances. Sometimes if you give even the negative interest to them, they got you. Mm-hmm. 
So there's an art sometimes of not getting so caught in them. But you have to recognize them to know, you know, to leave them aside. So um, one strategy that uh, when we're doing concentration practice that sometimes works, and, um, uh, and, uh, and this idea of putting aside, is um, if you have an object of concentration, say you're focusing on the breathing, some people focus on the tip of their nose, the nostrils, the top of the lip. Some people focus on the chest, the area of diaphragm. Some people focus on the movements on the belly. Or some people, uh, kind of when they're with the breath, it's the whole breath body, the whole movement of breathing through the torso, that they're kind of like a bellows that are opening and closing that they're tuning into. So you have some place that you're focusing. And um, imagine that that's the bow of a boat. And, the, and you're heading someplace and you're pointing towards the direction, maybe on the shore. And, um, and the, the bow of the boat cuts the water and the water just washes off on the side of the boat. And uh, just washes off to the side, you know. And so the water is not stopping the boat. Um, and the boat is just parting the water and, and letting it fall away to the side. So the same way, there's an art to keeping the attention steady and focused on the object of concentration, maybe the breathing. Know that all kinds of so-called obstacles come up, thoughts and feelings and all kinds of things that are going to want to distract you. But hold steady and let, don't, don't deny the other things, don't fight them, don't try to get rid of them. Just hold steady on your object don't do anything with them. Don't be bothered by them. Don't think. Don't see them as a problem. But if you, if what you can do is hold steady, and just imagine that they're washing off the side of the boat, just washing away, passing away, passing away. Hold, stay there, stay there. It takes a lot of trust to do that, because we have a lot of strong. Um, many of us have that strong conditioning around how important it is to take care of our problems, take care of our thoughts, take care of our. You know, hindrances, they come up. And, and so the idea that we actually wouldn't give attention to them, for some people, is a whole foreign idea. It takes a while to learn that this is wise, this is safe, this is actually better than giving a- attention to them. And, that, and to learn the ability to hold steady so we don't kind of be pulled into their world. Sometimes when I've done concentration practice, uh, you know, using these kinds of imagery, um, I've imagined like I'm driving a car down the freeway at 65 miles an hour and, and, um, and how there's, uh, you know, there's lots of billboards that are very enticing. And I know it's not safe to look at them and try to read the fine print. And so I'm just going to hold myself to the, to the, to the freeway and not, not get involved. Just let it go by, go by. So all kinds of thoughts come up to hold there, hold there. And um, so uh, in this way, when, when I teach mindfulness practice, I like to say there are no distractions. It's just something else to pay attention to. When we do concentration practice, there are distractions. And so we're, we're trying to figure out how to way to work with them uh, so they don't pull us away or pull us away from the focus where we're trying to stay focused. In mindfulness practice, the distractions become the practice much more. In concentration practice, there's the art of wisely, kindly, um, relaxedly, um, you know, 
keeping the focus and not being not getting pulled into the world of the distractions. And when we do that successfully, the energy that keeps the distraction going, that feeds them, begins to abate and they quiet down. Make some sense? So that's, I, I didn't mean to talk so much. I apologize. It's an occupational hazard for being a Dharma teacher, <laughs> talking too much. So uh, because I, want, I want us to do a meditation. And um, so, uh, so remember, when you sit down to your concentration practice, it's particularly important to prepare yourself for it and to kind of allow for there to be a shift in you that's supportive. So you might first begin that by spending a little bit of time consciously getting into a posture that uh, maybe can be um, enjoyable or comfortable while you're sitting here meditating and kind of maybe move your body around a little bit. Try to um, uh, sit and move it around a little bit and and uh, kind of settle into it. Some people like to rock their body back and forth sideways. And then as they play wide arcs first. And sometimes it works better to close your eyes because what we're doing is we're trying to become intimate to our body. Intimate to kind of feeling what's in here. And the eyes are closed. That sense is not distracting you with what's around you. And then makes shorter and shorter arcs until you come, you know, to center. And you can also do the same thing forward and backward. And the forward and backward is interesting. You can feel the weight on your sitting bone. And then as you make smaller, you know, sways back and forth, you find yourself so that your weight of your body is balanced on your sitting bones. And then the energized still flame, candle flame, stands straight. And so to begin, have this energized calm of concentration practice, it can be helpful to sit up a little bit straighter than you normally would. Without puffing your chest out, there's a way of sitting up straighter so that maybe your chest a little bit is more open and almost like the chest becomes alert. And then to take three long, slow, deep breaths. As you breathe in deeply, feel your torso expand and stretch. As you exhale, relax. And then letting your breathing return to normal. And then we can do that seven point breathing that's sometimes a good preparation. So bring your attention to the top of your head, your scalp, and feel what's there. 
And then as you exhale, relax the area of your scalp. Soften. And let your attention come to the area of your face. And then take a few moments to feel the sensations there, especially if there's any tightness or tension in your face. And as you exhale, relax, soften the face. And then coming down to the shoulders, feeling the shoulders. And as you exhale, relax the shoulders, soften. And <laughs> letting your attention go down to your arms and your hands and feel those areas. And then as you exhale, soften, relax the arms, the hands. And then the area of your rib cage, especially in the front. Your chest area, feeling. And then as you exhale, soften, relax. belly area, diaphragm down to the pelvic floor, feeling what's there, especially if there's tension or tightness. And then as you exhale, soften a bit there, relax. And then the legs and the feet. And as you exhale, softening, releasing in the legs and the feet. And then as an eighth place, you might feel between your ears, behind your forehead, kind of the area of your brain. See if you can feel anything there, any vibration, energy, tension, pressure. Maybe the area you associate with a lot of thinking. And the next couple of exhales, Relax that area as well. Relax the thinking muscle. Soften.
if possible, soften the energy for thinking. And then have your attention scan through your body to see if maybe under the skin or someplace you can find any feelings of well-being or pleasure, any sense of goodness or within your body, anything that feels cozy, nice, warm, tingling. So any place in your body that's some sense of pleasure, well-being. It might be something very small, a little patch that's glowing a little bit or warm or feeling soft, tender. Or perhaps there's a sense of the whole body and maybe a kind of under the skin maybe or goodness and being in contact and touch. And also some, as a preparation for the practice of concentration. Sometimes it's nice to have some thoughts, some feelings of goodwill toward yourself, to wish yourself well, to have a, f- a few rounds of thinking, a few thoughts, where you think well about yourself. You think in ways that you care about yourself and you wish yourself happiness and well-being. Maybe you don't feel happy, but you can have some wishes for, well wishes for yourself. So there's a generosity, kindness, that includes you, directed towards you. So you're not struggling with yourself as you sit here. And then to find the place in your body where you feel your breathing most clearly. The sensations of the body breathing Maybe the air going in and out through the nostrils, top of the lip. Perhaps the movements of the chest. Perhaps the movements of the belly.
And to begin shifting now your interest, your focus, pointing the bow of your ship to the experience of the body breathing. You might find it interesting to to get started with the breathing to ever so slightly, quarter of a second, pause at the end of the out-breath. Maybe it can be a loving pause. And then when they inhale wants to begin, to allow it to begin, allow the whole in-breath to return, come. If you want, you can stop having that little pause. And as you're with your breathing, to be able to turn your interest and your more quieter thoughts towards the breathing, to be with the breathing, you can take a few moments to notice which is clearest in your mind which you have strongest connection to, the inhale or the exhale. Which of the these two cycles is most enjoyable for you, most pleasant? Do you enjoy a little bit more the inhale or more the exhale? Are there subtle ways that you can adjust your breathing so it's still in the range of a natural breath, but adjusting it so it's a little bit more pleasant? Maybe breathing slightly slower, maybe faster, slightly fuller, slightly more subtle. Or maybe it's as simple as relaxing the muscles of your belly or in your chest that might be held as you're breathing.
and the sensations of the body breathing are happening within the wider field or context of the body. Is there any sense of pleasure or well-being or, or goodness within the body as you breathe? And as you focus on your breathing, let the focus be relaxed. Relax into your breathing. Almost like you're letting go into your breath. For a few moments, maybe you can allow the thinking mind become quiet, real quiet, so you can be more subtle in your sensing and feeling of the body breathing. And if your focus is the boat, have it pointed to your breathing and distractions and other thoughts, discursive thoughts that arise. Let them just wash right off the side. Hold steady. No need to get distracted by the different thoughts and feelings that come. Hang in there. Connect with the breathing. Coast, surf on the breath as long as you can. And then connect again.
return to the breathing. See if you can be steady. Hold yourself steady on the breath. And relax, soft, steady contact. Feeling the movement or the alternating sensations in the body or breathing in and out. Maybe like you're riding on those waves of breathing. And very gently See if you can notice what, notice what effect breathing has, the sensations and movements of breathing. What effect does it have on the areas of your body around where you're breathing? Is the movement or breathing, the sensations like a massage or does it heighten your sensitivity? So you can make the rest of your body receptive to be influenced nicely by the rhythm and movements of breathing. A quiet, soft receptivity. To the way breathing connects, affects the body. Is there any subtle pleasure or well-being that either directly or indirectly is associated with breathing? Can you allow yourself to feel and sense even the subtlest form of pleasure, enjoyment with the breathing? Take it in, maybe taking it in in a quiet mind, quiet body.
And then sometimes the sense of well-being, pleasure, can be enhanced if you very slightly bring up the corners of your lips into a teeny smile. A little bit of a half smile. Feeling what shifts inside of you as you do that. And then breathe. And as you stay with your breathing in and breathing out, is there some place in the cycle of breathing in and out where you're more likely to drift off in thought? More in the end of the out-breath, end of the in-breath, beginning of them, in the pause, And if there is, remember to stay steady and alert with the awareness to get through that part of breathing so you don't get pulled into thoughts. And if it's helpful, you might see if there's some place in your body or mind that is tense, tight. And if it is, maybe you can relax or soften. And as you relax or soften, to relax back into your breathing. Trust your breathing. Breathe with whatever is. Gently, lovingly, hold steady with your breaths, one breath after the other.
maybe at this point, it might feel nice to allow for a little pause or a little bit longer pause at the end of the exhale. Not with effort, not holding yourself, but almost like letting go into that end of the out-breath and the pause. Letting go and letting your mind become quiet to feel and sense into that pause. So the steady attention to the breathing includes the stillness, the space, the space, the non-movement of that pause. And then as we bring this meditation to a close, you might stop focusing on your breath for a few moments. And just be relaxed and sit here, but do nothing else. Do nothing else but feel into your body and feel into whatever way it feels good to be here right now. Even if you feel uncomfortable in some way, That's okay, you don't have to think about that. Let that be on the side. And what is it that right now in the quiet or stillness or without making any real effort to focus on the breathing, is there any goodness in just being present, being here? And then to end this sitting, you can take some long, slow, deep breaths. Feel your body. Feel yourself against a chair or your cushion or the floor. 
And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So in, uh, since the ancient times in Buddhism, it was understood that the proximate cause or the proximate condition for concentration is happiness. And um, some people find it a little bit confusing to hear this because they're practicing concentration because they're unhappy. <laughs> it's supposed to help them. And it does. It can help. And, uh, and you're not required to be happy to start doing the practice and get the benefit from it. But it is kind of interesting to know that that's kind of was the ancient understanding. And so are there ways that you can, you know, to say it maybe coarsely or say it maybe in, in a non-useful way. Can, in some ways you can make yourself a little bit happy when you sit down to meditate. Can you generate some sense of goodness, some sense of well-being, some sense of goodwill? Can you do something to begin shifting your mood or your way you are so that there's a feeling, oh, this is, this is a nice to be here. I want to be present. Uh, there is something that I can tune into here that is enjoyable. Because if there's something enjoyable that you're focusing on when you do concentration practice, it's easier for the mind to want to focus on it. If there's nothing enjoyable whatsoever, then it, you know it's maybe more enjoyable to complain about your boss, or it's more you know captivating to, to have some fantasy or something. So. Um, so the idea of, uh, of with, you know, you, we can't always be successful at this and you don't want to make it a big project and, and try to engineer the impossible. But if there are obvious and simple ways that you have to bring forth, to shift into some sense of pleasure, well-being or something as you sit, that can make the steadiness and the focus of being concentrated much more easy. And... Uh, at some point, as we keep practicing concentration and hold steady, it's kind of, I guess I talked about this last time, it's kind of like the petting the cat. At some point, um, there's, I don't know what the physiological, hormonal, chemical system that's coming into effect here, what, but um, there's a biofeedback system that's set in motion. And the deeper the concentration, the more the concentration goes, the more the mind becomes quiet, the more we get harmonized or unified or collected in our whole being as we sit here, just being here. It seems to, rede- uh, maybe it releases endorphins or serotonin or something in our system because there starts to be this sense of pleasure 
uh, or lightness or lightening that begins to kind of happen in some parts of the body, sometimes of the whole body. And so the pleasure of concentration is not in the breathing, but it's kind of the glow that begins happening around it. If anything like this happens, even even very, very subtly, uh, to uh, use that as a biofeedback system to know you're on track and to encourage you, stay in the breath, stay, stay there petting the cat. Don't let go, just stay in there, hold the, hold the course. And let, let that kind of be like a cheerleader. Oh yeah, that's good. And then just stay. As opposed to being attracted to you know, the distractions that might come up. So did any of you, could you, were any of you able to feel some kind of, in the, whole, in the meditation, some kind of pleasure and well-being? Can we wait? Sure. I'd like to hear from you if anybody has if you any, any sense of pleasure or well-being that you could feel in the breathing or was it nothing whatsoever? You were just miserable. My name is Joe. Um, it was interesting for me as I got deeper into samadhi, into meditation, and it was like I, my mind quieted down. I was, uh, you know, I image, had this image of a boat going through the water and those um, thoughts going off to the sides, and yet it was like this dark orb. Until you mentioned putting a slight smile on the face, and I consciously did that. And as soon as I did that, this feeling of well-being just went over my body. It was really an interesting experience. I didn't expect that at all. Did uh, did a half smile make a difference for some of you? Did did it help you stay more focused on the practice when you did that? Some of you nodding your head, yes. Some of you didn't. (laughs) Some of you did nothing. Those are the three options. They're all good. (laughs) So I'd like to hear, anybody else want to say a little bit about how maybe tuning into pleasure, well-being, enjoyment or something was supportive for you in doing this meditation? Gil, I can say um, that uh, for me there's something about um, when I'm starting, about something about connecting with heart, my heart Uh and a sense of gratitude Uh or um, that, that actually brings a wave of pleasantness mm-hmm. and then that begins the sort of the, that tuning in and it spreads so for me it's actually it's actually kind of um, gratitude or heart appreciation Quite fantastic very nice um, I think for me I feel it really in my in my belly and it feels like there's this hearth and it's these embers so it's not a fire but this these warm embers very nice okay nice and up here in the front um, <coughs> hi I'm Shekhar for me it's very fleeting um, when you said think of it as a biofeedback yeah. I was hoping that you know uh, the the calmness and the happiness and the pleasantness that I'm feeling right now would motivate me to start 
the practice by myself tomorrow uh-huh. but that is not going to happen uh, <laughs> there will be a lot of resistance tomorrow again um but at the same time at this moment i'm very glad that i made the effort to come here and 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 get into this practice so that i'm beginning to appreciate whatever the day has been and uh-huh. and i think i'll have a nice sleep when i when uh-huh. i go back so because you you know you probably want to do it because you're busy with all kinds of things too busy to meditate is that that's uh, I, i think there is some sort of resistance uh-huh. business is one part of it Mm-hmm. uh by the time like so uh, this is procrastination uh-huh. uh, i won't say that it's only busyness okay. so but but you would like to meditate yes so here's a suggestion for you mm-hmm. so you're sitting very nicely cross legged on the floor mm-hmm. so you have this you have the advantage of this classic meditation posture so don't commit yourself to meditate but take the posture mm-hmm. tomorrow morning mm-hmm. get yourself in that posture and then um uh uh cl- close your eyes and you're still not going to meditate so <laughs> <laughs> um and take th- uh, take three conscious breaths just that it's called the three breath journey and then notice at the end of those three breaths how you're how you've changed okay and then when that's all over do whatever you think is fit whatever you'd like to do at that point and it's possible you just would like to stay there a little bit longer <laughs> meditating you think you could do that at least that okay so you know it's a it's a really a big setup for discouragement what i taught here because you know it's not easy to have pleasure or well-being a sense of enjoyment like this and to have me keep saying it you know look forward to feel it some of you you know it's not so accessible and easy and uh, and then you and then once you feel a little discouraged that that's called the distraction from the practice a self-fulfilling distraction and then you know i can't do it you know, i don't know what he's talking about i'm probably the only person on the block who can't meditate and then uh, and then you have that kind of discursive thought and that spins us out and the more you do that of course then the less that's the reason we can't meditate not because we can't find pleasure it's because we have these like thoughts and reactions to it so there is something about in meditation to um really trust the practice enough that don't allow yourself while you're meditating to drift in, and to give 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 in to those kinds of thoughts so if it's not working the way you think it is sometimes it's actually quite useful to uh, don't care <laughs> hold the course stay steady give yourself over remember the analogy i gave last week of those of you who are here of the scooter give yourself over and see if you can kind of coast like your t- your awareness like surfing on for a few moments in the breath and just know it won't be that long and then do it again and again but just keep doing it keep doing it and some of this uh, teachings about the pleasure or the enjoyment it's going to come at some point it it's just not you know your system's not ready for it yet so but the to know the principle the idea that we're co- we're uh, to go into samadhi we're using 
pleasure, well-being, we're using the symptoms of, of enjoyment that will come with concentration practice sooner or later, sometimes later, and we're using them as a feedback system, as a support for this, all this, and to encouragement to stay present, and get cozy, and kind of settle in like this. So if some of you felt discouraged by all this, uh, I sympathize. I think that could easily happen. Uh, try not to, you know, give too much heed to that. Don't give a lot of credibility to it or importance to that discouragement. And because, um, you know, just trust, 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 trust the practice and just keep doing it. So now, does anybody have any, now you have a question or does anybody have a question? Uh, hi, I do have a question about hindrances. Um, what attracted my attention a lot during this talk that you keep repeating in several forms that if one of the hindrances pops up as best as we can, just let it go and don't get involved. Yeah. So I'm a little bit confused because normally the talk about hindrances goes hand in hand with the antidotes to those hindrances. And I'm just wondering if that's the difference between concentration practices and insight or uh, your developmental stage in meditation journey or how does it all fit together? Good, good question. So there are distractions and hindrances that can come up when we meditate, when we do concentration practice. And, um, and uh, if, if ignoring it and holding the course, holding the bow of the boat, you know, pointing towards your breath and just letting it wash off the side. If that works, great. There are times it's not going to work. And then you have to figure out, what do I need to do to settle them or work through them uh, to, in order to be able to come back to the concentration? And uh, what I try to say in the beginning is that working through the hindrances, working with them, if that's what's needed, you, um, that's imp- actually a very important part of the practice. So if you can't successfully ignore them, you might need to stop doing the concentration for a while and do the classic mindfulness practice in relation to the hindrances. So you just bring a lot of attention and mindfulness. So I have a whole book called uh, the Unhindered that talks about how to work with the hindrances. Ah. And, uh, <laughs> My question was to the right yeah. person. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so, so um, it's a thin book. <laughs> and um, the... Um, um, and then you mentioned the antidotes. So some, I don't usually teach antidotes very often, but so, sometimes, and some people find the antidotes very helpful. And that is that um, the hindrances or the distractions, sometimes you bring kind of the opposite quality to balance them out or to settle them out. Um, and that can help some people. For some people, like with the hindrances, uh, you know, doing something like what Tanya said, gratitude practice or to switch to do loving kindness practice as an antidote for them can also settle something. So uh, over time, over the months and years that a person meditates, we slowly develop the skill and self-understanding to know what's useful for you and how, how this practice meditation unfolds for you. There's no generic meditation way. Uh, and that's what I emphasized the first night. It's really about learning about how your mind works and what supports you and how you navigate through these areas, through these waters. And um, so the real importance of monitoring yourself and seeing what works and seeing what goes on and, um, and then making adjustments, trial and error, and finding your way. And what's nice about, you know, it's kind of trial and error and f- 
there's a way of trial and error being focused that helps you stay interested. You're engaged with what you're doing. Uh, and like I said earlier, it's like having a hobby or doing a crossword puzzle. You are using kind of higher functioning parts of the mind, even some thinking, uh, to solve the crossword puzzle or you know, to do the craft or do the hobby. But the mind is still, your whole system gets calm and settled, the busyness of life falls away, the distractions, the tensions fall away. You're really involved in something. So this idea of monitoring yourself, being interested in being here and finding, uh, is, can, if you do it the right way, can support you to find your way. If you think that meditation and concentration is like, I'm going to sit there and just focus on my breathing and keep it there like a laser, you know, um, and not do this work of learning yourself and navigate and learn how to be harmonious and loving and connected and wise about how you're finding, it's probably in the long term it's not going to work very well. Thanks so much. It helps a lot. Great. So, yeah. I think I just wanted to clarify something you just suggested. So, um, so we begin, perhaps, many of us with breath, following the breath, wherever that is, and you've emphasized that. And then, at some point, we might experience a pleasant sensation somewhere in the body or in the mind. And at that point, you're suggesting not to get stuck with the breath, like, oh, wait, I have to follow the breath. How about I follow this very pleasant sensation, that well-being, yeah? And maybe let go of the breath and it'll come back. It's not like... Yeah, I don't, I don't think I was that clear when I was saying, but there's, t- there's two general options and, and um, uh, that different teachers will teach with concentration practice. Uh, one is, uh, as we stay with the breathing, look for the pleasure and the joy that's con- directly connected to breathing. So you stay focused on the breath, but you have the support of the pleasure that's there and the, in this, that's there and to keep you focused. Um, and uh, if, and then, but then, it, but then, if, if there's pleasure that arises that's in the periphery of that, you know, not not directly with the breathing, still stay with the breathing. That's the that's the petting of the cat, and let the purring be there. Let the other pleasure be there, but let it be in the peripheral awareness. Let it be on the edges. You know it's there, you're enjoying it, it's kind of supporting you, but you're actually not focusing on it. That's one strategy. The other strategy that some teachers say is when the, when the, when the joy or the pleasure factor gets strong in concentration practice is um, you actually stop focusing on the breath and you bring your 100% focus on the place where there's pleasure, where there's enjoyment, and, and really kind of open up into that and let that grow and develop and expand. So those are the two ways, maybe because it's uh, what I've done mostly for myself. Um, uh, I, I, my, I prefer the first way. And um, somehow that feels more natural or feels more, uh, you know, I'm not going to make a big, I don't, you don't want to make too big a deal about this pleasure thing, right? You know, they're not like a hedonist, you know, like, you know, that, you know, let's like really get into it now. It's, you know, you, you know, it's better to kind of, you know, be kind of relaxed about it. Don't make too big of a deal of it, but don't ignore it either. Let it be supportive. And sometimes by focusing 100% on the pleasure that's not connected to the breathing, it's a little bit too much of an agenda. It's a little bit too kind of... And also, I, I think for some, what I've seen in some uh, meditation students, that switching and doing that 
um, the, the, um, it, it, they're, they're, they can get even more concentrated, but the concentration has a little bit of a limited f- quality to it. It's more, it's more bounded, or it's maybe even a little bit of tense. Whereas if you stay with the breathing, what I've learned, the breathing is a great mellower, great relaxer. It keeps everything fluid and uh, keeps tension from building up. And so to keep the focus there, but have the peripheral attention be supported by the pleasure. Um, and so you stay focused. That's what, that's what I find the most useful. So, right, can we have the bike? Here, it's coming there from my, uh, the front row. I'd like to ask, how do you know when your mind is empty? Like, when you are not thinking about anything. How, how do, do you, you know? know? Why, why do you need to know? Well, that's, that's the goal, right? So yeah, it I, is a goal, so it yeah. would be nice to I think I, have I, some insta- goal markers. Inst- instead of being empty, maybe... Uh, 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 being peaceful and being happy and contented is is okay. better, and so make that make that kind of little bit the not the goal, but to be the milestones. Where oh yeah, this is good, so it's going along well. And maybe that's easier than empty. Empty is kind of strange idea. Well, because it kind of felt like this. it kind of felt like it. Right. Did you enjoy it? No, strange. Just strange. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll look for the pleasure and the peace okay. <laughs> next time. Thank you. Over here to Judith. You've talked each time about the preparation. Yes. What about coming out? Mm, nice. Well, I, I did. I tried to do it a teeny bit slowly for you, right? And just spend a little bit of time letting go of the meditation and just being with what's there, feeling that. Uh, sometimes what's useful at the end uh, is also to spend a minute or so reflecting on what you learned from that meditation. Kind of review it a little bit. And what was useful? How did it go? Uh, where, where, in the, where in the half an hour we did? Um, you know, I, you know, I kind of let myself, I was a little bit lazy. I kind of didn't really engage. I could have engaged, but I kind of slipped away and I, I was thinking about something nice, so didn't want to come back or something. Just, just look and see what happened there. Or say, oh, when I did that, um, then I started to get straining. And I noticed when I strained, it became kind of fragile. Or, you know, whatever, you learn. So spend about a minute kind of reviewing it and learning, uh, but without any judgment, without any, any feeling that anything's wrong or right. Or, you know, just, just learn from it. Make sense? That's another thing you can do. And then um, maybe I should ask you, uh, why are you asking? Why, why do you think this is a useful question for you? Is there something of concern for you? That um, your response, um, so what I find myself doing, the, the um, pause uh-huh. <coughs> at the bottom of the exhale is where I find that contentment, if you uh-huh. will. And um, when I come out, I don't move right away, and I don't go to the to thinking just yet, <laughs> if I can help it. Great. And 
kind of th- that breathing, like all the time you've been talking now, that yeah. breathing has gone on. Uh-huh, nice. So you're, st- you're still connected to yourself. So you're coming out, but you're staying connected. And reconnecting here. Nice, very nice. And I, But it's also helpful to hear the reflect. Yeah. Because that's not, that yeah. it's not what I've done. Yeah. Well, it depends. I mean, what you're describing is beautiful also um, and, and very useful to do. To stay, to keep the connection going, and begin to begin bring into your life a little more, and f- start feeling what that's like. The reason I asked about why you're asking is that um, uh, th- there's there's so much individual variation of what happens to people when they meditate and as they come out, and uh, some people um, are a little bit in a stupor when they come out. They're fine when they're meditating; they come out a little bit in a stupor, and they need to wake up a little bit and get kind of they need to shake a little bit and kind of shake something off. Other people are so still and quiet that um, they're not ready to drive their car. So they better walk around the block. Uh, other people um, feel so tender and vulnerable and, you know, and it just, it's just too much to open your eyes and be in a room with so many people. You know, this, you know like, like the colors are so heightened sensitivity. Well, the heart is so sensitive and so feel vulnerable. And so maybe it's best not to open your eyes too quickly. And, and maybe even you start putting your hands on your body and just feel your body and until you feel more grounded and connected. So I'm just giving you a few ideas, but, but I'm, the emphasis over and over again, like, I like making, it's, it's, uh, you have to learn your way. And, uh, and learning how it works for you and what goes on and learning what's wise and supportive. And that takes a while, but it takes doing it. Uh, you know, you, you can't read a book. You have to read yourself. And find what, how it is for you. So, um, and it's it's a really a worthwhile thing. Uh, there's a kind of uh, deepening intimacy and self-understanding. And if the concentration practice starts starts to kick in for you and getting start getting concentrated, it tends to come with a, a lot of, uh, a growing sense of self-appreciation and f- friendship and you know lack of conflict with oneself. And that's some of the really healing qualities of concentration, the fact that we're no longer in conflict with ourselves. We have in touch with some sense of goodness and some sense of well-being or contentment. And it, it just it feels so good, you know, you know, rather than being our enemy or we are, you know, feeling it's all in conflict. So, so and it comes from this, you know, uh, a lot of it comes from this heightened, growing self-understanding about ourselves that comes knowing how we work and how we concentrate and what it takes to stay focused in a good, supportive, concentrated way. So I hope this is useful. And uh, so I want to thank you all. And uh, I was appreciative of how still the room was for that 30 minutes. So I don't know what, some of you probably didn't feel so still on the inside, but that, that's all part of the process. <laughs>